Thank you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. So true. All right, so if you guys are just now joining us for the first time, or if you've missed a couple of weeks, you haven't been with us in the series, uh, we have been diving into this topic of heaven for the past couple of weeks. And, and man, I, I've loved diving into this topic with you. I was really excited um, to get to this series um, for a while. And I love the Galatians series. And, and especially towards the end, I was really getting excited about this series. And really one of the main reasons is because it is so important. Because it is so, so, so important for us to have like a proper understanding of what this place, heaven, is actually going to be like. So that way we can actually look forward to this. Without a proper understanding, we're not going to look forward to. And, and that's, that's the sad reality, man. That's what's so sad is so many of us, actually studies show that so many of us as Christians do not have a proper picture of heaven to look forward to. Why? Because the vast majority of us Christians, check this out, the vast majority of us Christians have a small view of heaven. And with a small view of heaven, then we're not going to want to live for it. We're not going to look forward to it. We're not going to want to live for it. We're going to want to live for the here and the now. We're going to want to live it up here and now because with a small view of heaven, we're going to think, you know what? Well, if I don't live it up here and now, if I don't have fun now, right? If I don't enjoy my life now, then I'm not going to be able to do that later. Why? Because with a small view of heaven, heaven sounds a whole lot more like hell than it does heaven. And who on earth, why would anybody want to look forward to that or live their life for that? I mean, Let's just be honest, guys. Like, who in here actually wants to, like, when you think about, like, being a disembodied little spirit floating out on the clouds somewhere, playing a harp and a little loincloth, or playing like a, you know, singing kumbaya for all of eternity, who wants to do that? Like, I don't want to, that, that, would, that sounds horrible. That sounds miserable. That sounds, again, more like hell than it does heaven. But the sad reality is studies, this isn't my opinion, studies show that the vast, vast majority of us as Christians in the year 2018, the vast majority of us actually have a view, a picture of heaven that's more like that than it is like a disembodied floating around on a, on a cloud singing kumbaya or playing a little harp. More like that than what the Bible actually teaches us about heaven. We're going to talk a little bit why that is as well and get back to the heart of this. But guys, that's why it's so important for us to get back to the Bible, back to what the heart of the gospel, what the gospel and the Bible actually teaches us about this place called heaven. And that's really been kind of the main um, uh, you know, point of this series is to get back to what the Bible, the gospel actually teaches about this place called heaven so we can actually start to look forward to this. And through this series, there's been a couple of weeks, there's been a lot of paradigm shifts. I've had a lot of great conversations with a lot of different people. There's been a lot of kind of paradigm shifts and, you know, like, like views have been kind of challenged in some areas. And today's going to be no different. I'm just going to be really honest. Today's going to be no different. Um, today we're going to be focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because as our big idea states, Christ's resurrection changes everything. Christ's resurrection changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. For the gospel, we thank you so much for this place called heaven that we get to look forward to, and not so much a place, but your presence. And we thank you so much for just the promise of this, the hope in the future that we have, and no matter what's going on in our life right now, we can keep our eyes ahead, focused on you, Jesus, focused on our home, because this right here, that where we're living right now, and, and what's going on right now, this is not home, but we have a future and a hope of home with you forever and with all of the other saints, with all of our other family members. And we thank you so much for that because it's only because of you, Jesus, and what you've done on the cross in our place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just flood this place, that you take over this sermon. I pray that you break chains in my life and everybody else's life in here. I pray if anybody does not know you, Jesus, has not surrendered to you as Lord and Savior, 
and made that commitment to you. I pray that if they're here today or they're listening to this message, I pray that you would just, Holy Spirit, that you would just, just flood their life. I pray that you would break chains in their life and in their heart. God, help us to know that you, you meet us where we're at. It's not about what we can do or what we've done. It's about what you've done, Jesus, in our place. Help us to understand that. Help us to surrender to you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name, and we love you. Amen. All right, so just a, a quick heads up. There is going to be a good bit of ground to cover, not, not near as much as a couple of weeks ago in the last sermon, because I know in the last sermon, a lot of you probably felt like you were getting drenched by a water hose. We, were at, like, we had a ton of Scripture, okay? Um, a lot more than usual. The reason for that was to really kind of center in to see how this overarching theme, the gospel message, how you could see it interwoven through the whole Bible and how it all points back God's uh, plan of redemption to bring us, his, his children, back home. And so if you did not get a chance to listen to that, if you weren't here, or if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I highly encourage you, go back to listen uh, to that sermon. Again, it was two weeks ago. Um, also, the sermon before that, it'll really set the foundation as we kind of move forward in this series, and we really kind of uh, keep on diving into this topic of heaven. Uh, you can do that. We've got it on, um, we've got a podcast on the church app, so you can get the church app. We've also, you can uh, access that on the website as well. But if you weren't here for that, if you haven't listened to it, uh, don't worry, you're not going to be confused. You're not going to be lost in this sermon, so you'll be all right. Uh, but we are. Uh, today, we're actually going to be just in one text, 1 Corinthians 15. If you got your Bible, go ahead and break it open. 1 Corinthians 15. Plant your hand there. Um, that is where we're going to be camping out today. Uh, quick heads up with that, too. We're going to be skipping around in this chapter. So just a heads up there. This was written by the Apostle Paul, starting with verse 1. These are his words. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold to the message, I'm talking about the gospel, I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So right off the bat, man, I'm going to pause right there. Right off the bat, right out of the gate, Paul is hitting hard on the gospel, reminding us, the Corinthians he's writing to us, but then also us as the readers are, are reminding us about the importance of the gospel. Well, and he's just hitting so hard on this, but the question is why? Why? I mean, very first couple of verses, he's hitting hard on this. And the reason is because the gospel message of Jesus Christ is central to everything that Paul preaches and teaches. It's the central message of the entire Bible, the overarching message and theme of the Bible, and it's central to everything that he preaches. In fact, Timothy Keller, um, he, he's an incredible pastor, theologian. He's actually uh, known by many people today, many theologians, as like the present-day C.S. Lewis of our time. Incredible stuff, incredible books out there, too. I encourage you to read his stuff. Uh, but he actually says that the gospel message is not the, just the ABCs of the Christian faith. The gospel message is the A to Z of the Christian faith. He also says that the gospel is not just the diving board to, to dive into the pool of our faith. The gospel is the entire pool itself of our faith faith. And, and that's so true, man. It's so true. And, and a lot of times what happens is the reason this is so important because if we move past the gospel, we move past Christ. And so if the gospel is central to everything that Paul preaches and teaches, it's central to our faith, it's central to the overarching message of the entire Bible, then that kind of begs the question, okay, well, what is the centerpiece of the gospel? Like what's the most important aspects or aspects of the gospel message? And that's what Paul's going to talk about next. Let's check this out. He says, for I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. So did you catch those words, most important? 
most important. So what Paul's doing here is he's bringing these Corinthians that he's writing to and us as the readers back to just like the bare bone basics. Like this is gospel 101 before you know or understand anything else at all about the gospel. What, what Paul says is we need to understand this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Because if, if we lose this central focus, if we lose this central focus right here, what we have to understand is we lose the gospel as a whole. So in other words, if Jesus Christ did die on the cross for our sins, but if he was not resurrected, if he was not raised from the dead, then we completely lose the gospel, completely tarnishes the entire message. Because the things that Paul references is the most important things. This stuff is what gives the gospel message the power to save and transform lives. You take out one aspect, just one of those most important aspects that Paul hits on, then all of a sudden it turns the gospel message of Jesus Christ into a story about a random man that lived a couple thousand years ago and nothing else, nothing else. But thank God, praise God that the gospel is true. And thank God, praise God that Jesus Christ literally did die on a cross for our sin, that he literally was buried, and that he literally was resurrected. That's not a metaphor for something. That's not spiritual Christianese jargon. He literally was resurrected from the dead, and Paul's got proof. Check this out in verse 5, and he says, this is the proof. He's got this lineup of proof, and that he appeared, this is the resurrected Jesus Christ, to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Okay, so, so Paul just got through telling us that the importance of the gospel and then also the central focus of that gospel message, what that is and how important that is. But then he doesn't just leave us, say, okay, this is the most important aspects of the gospel, and says, okay, just believe this, and then, then that's it, right? Peace out, you know, I'm gone, just believe that. He says, okay, hey, if, if, you, if it's hard for you to accept that, if you can't accept that, take me and my word, then I'm going to give you proof. And he gives us tons of proof in this check. I mean, check out this, this lineup that he gives us here. First off, we see, as far as this proof, several different people. The first one is this dude named Cephas. And when we first come to that, if you've never read this before, if you don't really know who this is, the first thing you think, or at least that's what I thought when I read this a long time ago the first time, is, man, this dude must not have been loved by his mom because who in the world would name their kid Cephas? That is a horrible name, you know? I mean, like, I am so glad my mom didn't name me Cephas. But as we start diving into this, what we see is this is the Apostle Peter. Like, Paul is saying, look, if you don't believe me, don't just take me at my word. Go ask the Apostle Peter. Like, on this rock, I will build my church. Peter, go ask him if what I'm saying is true. And if that's not enough for you, the next thing on this list is the other disciples, the original disciples, the followers of Christ. Obviously, apart from Judas, we understand that, but go ask them. And if that's not enough for you, he keeps on going. There were 500 people that all saw the resurrected, risen Lord and Savior with their own eyes. And by the way, side note, most of them are still Alive, And that tells us so much about this text is these people, most of these people that Paul is referencing when he's writing these letters to the Corinthians, to the Corinthians believers, they're still alive. They can go and ask them for, for himself, for themselves. I mean, tons, hundreds of people. But then he doesn't stop there. After that, he, he references somebody else by the name of James. It's like, okay, who is James? Well, first of all, James is apostle. He wrote the book of James towards the end of the Bible, towards the end of the New Testament, this small book. But man, it is powerful. If you haven't read it, go read it. 
It's incredible. But other than that, there's something really important, something really, really significant that we need to understand about James. James was also the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He was the half-brother of Jesus. So in other words, what Paul is saying is like, look, if you don't believe me, go ask the apostle Peter, right? Go ask Peter. If you don't believe him, go ask all the other disciples, the followers of Christ, the original followers that are still alive. Don't believe them. 500 other people all saw them with their own eyes. Most of them are still alive. You still don't believe him. Me, go ask his own family. Go ask the dude's family, Jesus' family, his brother. And guess what? If you go there, you ask his brother, guess who probably isn't going to be too far away? Maybe his mom, Mary? I mean, he is literally... If this is a lie, he is shooting himself in the foot, not just once, hundreds of times, because this would be the easiest lie in the world to ever debunk. I mean, who in the world would tell somebody to go ask their family if somebody resurrected from the dead? By the way, did your brother resurrect from the dead? Hey, hey, Mary, did your son resurrect from the dead? He does that, unless this is true. And then he wraps up all of this proof by saying, look, guys, I didn't just get this. I didn't, I didn't just hear this like through the grapevine. I didn't hear this randomly by somebody and they go around try to tell other people about this message. You should believe in Jesus and what happened. I'm telling you this because I saw the resurrected Lord and Savior. I saw the man with my own eyes. I saw him with my own eyes. Remember the road to Damascus when he was blind. He was commissioned by Jesus. I saw him with my own eyes. And guys, that's why Paul, this incredible evangelist, probably the most incredible evangelist of all time, was able to just radically proclaim the name of Christ more than most anybody else that has ever lived other than Jesus himself. I mean, all the persecution, the beatings, the torture, shipwrecked three times. Are you kidding me? I mean, danger all the time from robbers, from thieves, from different people that just wanted to kill him because he was spreading the gospel. And we've talked about this before. One time he was beaten so badly for proclaiming the gospel in a city. They beat him so bad, they literally thought he was dead. Then they, drived, they drug his seemingly lifeless body outside of the city, thought they left him for dead. When he came back to, rather than walking or sprinting in the opposite direction, probably couldn't sprint because probably barely walk, he instead walked right back into the city that they just almost killed him in and kept on proclaiming in the gospel this dude proclaimed the gospel like i mean i mean just was radical in it but then more than that too remember paul's story this guy this man who's so passionate about the gospel he used to be probably the most passionate person about you know having christians persecuted and killed he actually requested special permission to have christians persecuted and killed but then he ended up becoming one of the most radical, one of the most um, just uh, passionate men for the gospel, spreading the gospel like wildfire. The only thing that makes any sense when you hear his story is that Paul literally saw the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with his own eyes. And then he started spreading the gospel like wildfire. And, and just, just a little side note here, just so we understand, when we read this, this passage, there's tons tons of proof okay more proof than what the corinthians or even us even today need and especially the corinthians because most of these people were alive hundreds of people he's given him literally hundreds of pieces of proof this was actually said even just the 500 people alone if you were to go and cross-examine them for just a few minutes just the 500 people every single one of them i think it was like five minutes or so that would be the most lopsided um trial in history so that's all the proof that they need. But here's the thing, guys. That's not all the proof that Paul has. It's just all the proof that he needs to tell them about. That's not all the proof that we have. We have tons, tons of proof. 
not only in the Bible, but for the validity, the authenticity of Scripture as a whole. Overwhelming amounts of proof for Scripture to prove the validity, the authenticity of it, and also to prove the literal death, burial, and resurrection, not only in the Bible, but also outside of the Bible. Tons of proof. And and as we're talking about all this, so Paul's talking about the importance of the gospel, how it's the, the central focus and bringing us back to the gospel, and then, and then the central aspects of the gospel message itself, and then proving, hey, no, look, I've got tons of proof to verify this as well. Don't just take me on my word. Go and ask them for yourself. So it begs this question, like, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? Because if you noticed in verse 3, he said, what I passed on to you. What does that mean? That means he's already told them. He's told them all this. So why is he recapping all of this again? And going over the gospel, the central theme, and, and, and the implication of it. Why is he doing this all again? The reason is, catch this, the reason is because these Corinthians, they believed 100% in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you were to ask them, who's your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ, he's God, he's, he's my Lord, he's my Savior. They believe the gospel message as a whole, most every aspect. If you, you can't sit down with them now, because obviously it's a long time ago, they're not here anymore, but if you could sit down and have a cup of coffee with these guys, most of what you would talk about as far as the gospel would line up. But here's the thing, one, there was a couple of things that were off, and he, if you read this book, you see some of the other things, but one of the things that didn't line up, man, was the fact that these guys did not believe, catch me on this, they did not believe and bodily resurrection they did not believe in bodily resurrection and here's why because it begs the question why here's why because the city of corinth these corinthian believers lived in the city of corinth corinth was a greek city and greeks from the time that they were raised they were taught a very very strong view that once you died you were dead that's it end of story nothing else resurrection does not happen that is left field stuff no we don't believe that that's what you were taught from the time you were little when you were when you were growing up and so I'm imagining, we don't get the whole picture in here, but I'm imagining most likely what happens, what makes sense is that Paul comes, tells them about the gospel, they believe, they probably even accepted to the bodily resurrection maybe at that time when Paul's telling them this, but then over a matter of time when Paul leaves, all of a sudden they start just get influenced, probably maybe first within the church a little bit, people talking about, man, I can't believe the bodily resurrection, it contradicted everything that they were taught. And then I bet the big thing, most likely, was when they started telling people outside around the city, in that city of Corinth, people are like, dude, we can't accept that. That completely contradicts everything we've ever learned about, about death. Resurrection does not happen. That's just out there. See, these guys, the, the Corinthian Christians, what they believed is when you died, when they died, that their soul would be separated from their body, right? Soul would be separated from their body, and that their body would go on the ground, their body would be no more, and they would never be reunited with their physical body ever again. That's what they believe. And who else does that sound like? Who else does that sound like? That sounds like the majority of us as Christians today in the year 2018, man. And in fact, the vast majority of studies have proven that the vast I think it's like three-fourths or more of us as Christians today in the year 2018 do not believe in bodily resurrection apart from Jesus Christ, which is the exact same thing that these Corinthian believers were struggling with. They believe, man, they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. They believe in the, the gospel, most every aspect of the gospel. They believed in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, but that's where it stopped. They did not believe that they would rise just as Jesus 
rose, which again is the, the same kind of mindset that honestly, guys, has poisoned the majority of our churches and Christians today. The same kind of mindset that these Corinthians struggled with. And one of the biggest misconceptions that really causes this very just unbiblical way of thinking is this, this idea, and we'll talk in a moment kind of where this comes from, but it's this idea that our bodies, our physical bodies, and really physical, like the world, the physical world around us is sinful. It's, it's evil, right? Like our bodies are evil, the material world around us is evil, but then our souls somehow aren't. And so when we surrender our life over to Christ, this idea is adopted is when we surrender our life over to Christ, that our soul will finally be separated from our sinful, evil body, and that we will also be separated from the world, the sinful, evil world around us. And that's where this idea has come from. And guys, that's also where the idea, if you wonder where the idea that we're going to be disembodied spirits floating around on a cloud, playing a little harp and a loincloth and singing kumbaya forever, that's where that idea generates from, that our soul will finally be away from our toxic, evil, sinful body. But guys, that's a complete lie. It's a complete lie. That's not biblical. You want to know where that comes from? That comes from pagan philosophers, mainly Plato. And here's a really scary thought, just being honest with you. Very scary. And, and, the, and if, you're believe, if you're like, man, but that's what I believe my whole life, guess what? You are like within, I mean, two-thirds of Christians, the vast, vast majority of Christians have believed this. That came from Plato, man. Like the vast majority of us as Christians, when it comes to what we believe about heaven, what we believe about resurrection, has actually been influenced. We've been impacted and influenced more by pagan philosophers like, like Plato, more so than what the Word of God actually tells us. And if that's not a scary thought, man, I don't know what is. But again, it's a complete lie. We talked about this last week, or two weeks ago, rather, in that last sermon. And if, again, if you, didn't, if you didn't hear that sermon, go back and listen to that. We were created from the beginning for a physical existence a physical existence i mean think about the creation account right god made us with a physical flesh and bone bodies right we made us in, in you know with with trees and and water and with food and and uh you know uh running around animals doing things other than singing hymns songs all day right and then what did he declare that as he declared it as good he deemed that as as good because our physical bodies are not in and of themselves they are not the result of sin our physical bodies are the result of God's good creation. And here's the other thing we have to understand is we are not, what, what makes us a complete person, the way that we were, God created us, is not our soul. Our soul does not make us a complete person. How did God make us from the beginning and then declare that is good? A soul and what else? A body. A soul and a body, that's what makes us a complete person, not the soul separate from the body. And again, that's where this idea of floating around on, a, on like a little puffy white cloud and like singing hymns all day, that's where that's come from. Been influenced by pagan philosophers like Plato more so than the Bible when it comes to these topics. And so what I want us to do today is I want to encourage you to the things that maybe, you know, we've thought, the preconceptions, maybe our opinions, things that maybe even we, we were taught in Sunday school, VBS, whatever. I want to encourage us, let's set these things to the side right now. And let's get back to what the Word of God actually says about this. Let's, let's get back to the gospel and what God actually says about this. Check this out. Uh, we're going to keep on diving in. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, as so is 
your faith. So what Paul's doing is he's forcing us to think about this. He's like, okay, look, don't just come up and say, okay, this doesn't happen. Like, like let's think about this for a second. You know, let's put everything to the side, essentially, is what he's saying. Let's just think about this for a second. If nobody else has been raised from the dead, if, if people are not raised from the dead, resurrection does not happen, then we cannot in turn go back and say, but, but Christ was raised from the dead. Right? That's a contradiction. You can't do that. You can't say nobody's raised from the dead, but then say, oh, but Jesus was raised from the dead. So if Christ was not raised, nobody's raised from the dead, that means Christ was not raised from the dead. If Christ was not raised from the dead, that means that everything we believe, the entire gospel message is not true. It's not true. Because again, that was one of the most important central aspects of the gospel. Either we believe the resurrection or we don't believe the gospel because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, resurrection in general, is a central theme to the gospel message. That's why Paul said it was one of the most important aspects. Before you know anything else, you have to know this and believe this, the literal death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection is the focal point of our faith. And if you take out the resurrection, everything else crumbles. I've, kind of, I've described it like this before. If you think about that game of Jenga, you ever, anybody ever played that game of Jenga before? Okay, a couple of them, yeah. So the game of Jenga, if you've never played it, it's this game where you've got like little uh, wooden blocks. And you stack the wooden blocks like different ways. So if, you were to, if that gang of Jenga were to represent the entire gospel message, in each of those little wooden blocks, you were to put like some little aspect about the gospel message. Every wooden block represents some aspect of the gospel. Then on the, one of those little wooden blocks has the resurrection. So let's say you got the whole thing, hasn't even been touched, been set up, got everything represented there. The resurrection has one little block. You go up your first turn, nobody's touched it. You take that one block out, just the resurrection block. What would happen? The entire thing would crumble. Everything would crumble. And guys, if we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, but deny the resurrection, Paul tells us, moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God. Because we have testified, catch this, wrongly about God, that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is, catch this, worthless. It's the Apostle Paul. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep, in other words, passed away, um, you're believing in Christ but have passed away, have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. So there's a few things that I, I want to just kind of quickly hit on here, and I want to make sure that we, we kind of get. The first thing is what Paul says when he says, if the dead are not raised, in other words, if resurrection does not happen, it's this idea, okay, no, this doesn't happen. I can't believe this. Resurrection doesn't happen. If that's what we, we say, and that's what the Corinthian believers were struggling with, if that's what we say, then what he's saying is that um, uh, n- then not even Christ has been raised. And it's this idea that like, basically you can't, you can't go up and say, look, so the dead aren't raised. Resurrection doesn't happen. And then uh, in turn, like the very next sentence say, oh, but no, no, Jesus was raised. Like Jesus was raised, and I believed in a resurrected Savior that saves me. It's a complete contradiction, and that's what Paul's trying to, to help us to understand. Guys, you can't say that the dead are not raised, that resurrection does not happen, and then at the same time also say, but Jesus Christ was raised and believed in a resurrected Savior to save you. And then Paul says in this text, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also, what? They've gone to heaven? They're in the presence of God? What are they? They're perished. That's it. No more. Final. 
That means all the people that have put their hope, if Jesus Christ was not resurrected from the dead, the resurrection of the dead is not true. That means that all the people, the saints have gone before us, New Testament saints, people that we've known in our lifetime, Old Testament saints that put their faith, their trust, their hope in God. They're not in heaven right now. They're not in the presence of God. Heaven doesn't even exist if Jesus Christ was not raised from the dead. And then more than that, Paul's last words in this text, he says, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, catch this, we should be pitied more than anyone. Why? Because that means that everything that we have believed, our entire faith, our hope, our future, everything that we have banked on is a complete lie. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection from the dead, is not true. And Paul says that we should be pitied more than anyone. And just a quick side note on that. You know, people say sometimes, well, you know what, I'll just, if I just believe in Jesus, if I just believe the gospel, then, you know, even if at the end of my life it's wrong, then at least I live a good life. That's nonsense. That's not true. Paul says it right here. We should be pitied more than anyone. Why? Because if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then it's not true. If we believe the gospel that it's not true, then we are putting our hope, our faith, our trust, our, our future into the hands of a dead Savior that cannot save us, who calls us to then die of ourselves to live for him. And Paul says we should be pitied more than anyone if it's a lie. But then Paul says, he's not done, verse 20, but as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Skip down to verse 35. 35 says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? This is Paul. You fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. So again, Paul's telling us, look, Christ has been raised from the dead. You can take that to the bank every single day of every single week. The, the literal death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is true. It is literal. And he gave us tons of proof. But then more than that, what he wants to do, he's painting this picture, and he wants us to see that this is a sign of things to come. For every single one of us is his followers. He, that, that what happened with Jesus, when Jesus was raised, he painted this picture for what's going to happen to us. We will be raised just as Jesus was raised. We will be resurrected bodily just as Jesus Christ was resurrected bodily. And that's what Paul wants these Corinthians, also us as the readers, to understand. In other words, your future is not, if you are a, a redeemed son or daughter of the God of the universe, your future is not to be on some puffy little white cloud playing a harp for all of eternity. That is not your future our future as redeemed followers of Christ, our eternity is bodily, flesh, and bone resurrection. Same bodies, only redeemed, perfectly redeemed, and flawless, without sin, without shame, without guilt, without any of that, and without any fear of death. And because this is a, a hard concept for, for these Corinthians to grasp, and also us, because we struggle with that same mindset. Because this is a hard concept to grasp, well, what Paul does, he knows that with these Corinthians. And so he essentially breaks this down Barney style. That's why you got the whole sowing deal. It's like, what's up with that? And he was really, agriculturally, he was speaking to their day and age. Like, they would have understood that because that's what they did a lot, right? And so he's trying to break this down Barney style for him. And he's essentially saying, he's like, look, I know this is hard, but let's kind of break this down. Let's think about this practically for a second. Like we see pictures of this all of the time. Like if you actually just, I mean, think about it, keep your eyes open. You see pictures of this, of like resurrection, of rebirth all of the time. Like think about it like this. What happens, what happens if a, if a tree dies or if a plant dies? And if you take a seed from, say, that tree 
after it dies and you plant it in the ground, what happens to that seed? It grows into a tree. Does it grow into a different tree? No, it grows into the same tree. We see pictures of this happening all the time. And then if you skip down to verse 42, Paul says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised and in corruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Guys, death is not the end. Resurrection is our future. And redeemed flesh and bone bodies. Flawless. I mean, without sin, without any kind of imperfections, without shame, without guilt, without any fear of death whatsoever. In other words, the Bible teaches us that resurrection is our future. We will be raised just as Jesus Christ was raised. That's what the Bible teaches, guys. And this generates kind of a few questions. And there's three questions specifically that I want to kind of just hit on. These are just kind of really strong questions that a lot of people have when we talk about resurrection, right? So if that's our future, if we're going to be raised as Jesus was raised, then first of all, when will the resurrection happen? If that's my future, then when is this going to happen? The very simple and quick answer to this is when the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he brings heaven to earth. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the last sermon. If you remember, we were kind of all over the place painting that picture, how everything is kind of interwoven together. We started off in Revelation 21, the first few verses, first five verses. And it talked about how God, Jesus, right, is bringing heaven to earth. He's bringing the new Jerusalem from heaven, where? To earth, Right? And then God would be with them, with his people, and he would dwell with his people. And um, we also hit in that last sermon that, that heaven is not a place. What makes heaven heaven is not a physical place. What makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. That's why the Garden of Eden, we went back to Genesis chapter 2 in that sermon as well. The Garden of Eden, it, it paints this incredible picture for us, what we get to look forward to. Because in the Garden of Eden, we actually see what we were made for from the beginning. We talked about how man, in the Garden of Eden, man's place earth and God's place heaven kind of overlapped. They were interwoven together. Why? Because man and God were together. Again, what makes heaven heaven is not a place. It's the presence of God. And so that's what we get to look forward to at the second coming of Christ when he brings heaven to earth. That's when he will raise up, call up our bodies, and we will be resurrected. We will live with him for all of eternity and redeemed flesh and bone bodies on a redeemed earth. And it generates another question. What happens when people die before the resurrection? What happens when people die before the resurrection? The Bible makes it clear in several places, several different places, quickly hit on this, that when we die before the resurrection, before the second coming of Christ, before he brings heaven to earth, before we're resurrected, that we're not just going to, I mean, that's not the end, okay? Our souls go to heaven to be with God, and it is heaven because, again, what makes heaven heaven? Not a place, the presence of God. Our souls go to heaven. That's where all the saints that have gone on before us, Old Testament, New Testament, people that we've loved, that we've known in this earth that have gone on before us. They're there. They're there in the presence of God. They're in heaven, but we are also waiting for Jesus Christ to come back, the second return of Jesus to bring heaven to earth, where then he's gonna, our soul is gonna call our, our bodies up, and our souls are finally gonna be reunited with our bodies the way that we were created to be from the beginning. The last question I want to quickly hit on this is so what will our resurrected bodies be like? If that's our future, what are these resurrected bodies gonna be like? And what's incredible is we've got so many awesome pictures of this in the Bible. Think about it. Who was resurrected? Jesus. If you want to know what resurrection is like, go read about Jesus, the resurrected Jesus Christ, man. And what is he doing? Is he floating around like a spirit, like a ghost? No, he's walking. 
He's walking. He's eating food. He's talking. He's hanging out with them. And he's, he even cooked for the disciples. He cooked fish for them, right? I mean, he was hanging out with them and, and having fun. He had a mission as well. And the other thing, too, is there won't be any sin. So sickness won't exist. I mean, physical ailments, disabilities, they won't exist. Um, uh, also, uh, mental, psychological issues, they won't exist. We talked about this again in the last sermon as well. That's why it's so important. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. Jesus' miracles, they paint the picture. They're signs of things to come. And yes, he loved those people and he wanted to heal them too. But there's more implication to that than, than just healing people in the moment. What Jesus was showing with all of those miracles is the sign of things to come. The dead will rise, right? The blind will see, the lame will walk. So all those things, they will not exist in heaven. There's physical elements, the psychological elements. No shame, no guilt. We won't compare ourselves to one another, right? So ladies, you won't be like walking around saying, oh my gosh, look, look, she looks so good. I don't know about that. And guys do that the same thing too. We're just better at hiding, I guess. I don't know. But that's not going to exist. We're not going to compare ourselves to one another. We're, there's not going to be any overweight people in heaven. And, and most of the church fathers, the early church fathers, those, those guys that live back in like the 100s, 200s, 300s AD, most of them actually believe too, talking about the age um, kind of get another question in there really quick. So the age, like, well, well what will we look like, right? If you're older or younger or whatever, most of the ch early church fathers very strongly believed that when we're resurrected, that it will be at the prime of our life somewhere around the age of 30 or so. That's what they very strongly believed. That's what the early church fathers taught. We imperfectly redeemed enhanced bodies. No sin, no shame, no fear of guilt. Completely flawless. Just the way that God originally designed and created us to be from the beginning. And Paul wraps up this chapter with this. Skip down to verse 50. We're going to read a few verses here, but we're going to kind of end with this. Verse 50. He says, What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sad, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory. Where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As because of Jesus, we no longer have to fear death. And because of Jesus, we have a hope and a future of a life without sin, without all this garbage that we struggle with. And because of Jesus Christ, heaven is a place that we can look forward to. We can look forward to it when we honestly have a proper understanding and view of what it's going to be like. And the Bible gives us so many pictures. But as we're talking about this, this kind of generates the question, okay, well, this is great. That's my future. I can't wait for that. But what do I do now? Like, what do I do while I'm, while I'm waiting for this? What do I do? I'm glad you asked. Very last verse. Check this out. Paul says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. Guys, in this life, while you're waiting, keep your mind and keep your eyes focused on Jesus, focused on heaven with Jesus, knowing that the pains 
the trials, the hardships, the sufferings that we endure in this life will not last forever. We are almost home. We're almost there. This is, James says this life is like vapor. Here one moment, gone the next. But we are made for eternity and paradise with Jesus. Flesh and bone bodies and a flesh and bone existence with Jesus and the family of God. Guys, keep fighting. Stand firm for the gospel. Boldly proclaim the name of Christ and be the hands and feet of Jesus shining his light to as many people as possible in this dark and dying world, showing them the hope that you've been given in Christ. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Guys, heaven is a place that we can look forward to. And when we really just get down to the nitty-gritty, if we really just take the Bible at its word and get back to the gospel, we can see how incredible this place is actually going to be. We can't see every little thing. Right now we see in part, but then we'll see in full. But it's going to be so incredible. And when we have that honest, proper understanding of what heaven's going to be like, man, not only will we look forward to it, but that's when we can begin to live our life for it. That's when we can begin to live our life focusing on Jesus, focusing on heaven, knowing that is our home. And that all this other stuff will pass away. The shame, the guilt, the sin, the struggles in this life will pass away. And home is just around the corner. And so if you're a Christian, you've, you've maybe believed some of these other things about heaven. It's like, I don't know, I have this kind of foggy view of heaven. And because of that, it's really hard to keep my eyes focused on Christ, keep my eyes focused on heaven, because the view I've had in the past, it sounds a whole lot more like hell. So I want to live it up here and now. Because I felt like in the past, if I don't, then you know what? I'm not going to be able to later. Because if that's, what, if that's you, if you struggle with that, then please, God is calling you out right now. He loves you so much. And he's calling you to keep your eyes focused on him. Keep your eyes focused on heaven, knowing that it's right around the corner. And if you're here today, you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then the Bible very clearly says that this can be your home as well. Jesus loves you so much. He'll meet you where you're at. He'll save you right where you're at. It's not about what you have done, what you can do. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done for us in our place on the cross. Surrendering over to him as Lord and Savior. Repenting, just turning away from all the other things that we tried to make God in our life and turning to God and saying, Jesus, I want to live for you. Not in perfection, just in love and trust. That's what it is. If that's you today, then please don't leave here today without talking with myself, with uh, one of the other elders here. I love to talk with you. He loves you so much, he'll meet you where you're at. So as we stand, let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to sing one last worship song. For all of us as redeemed followers of Christ, man, when you sing this song, keep your mind, your, your focus and your gaze on heaven, on Jesus, and celebrate. Praise him for what he's done for us, for that future home that we have to look forward to. And whatever he's calling you to respond, whatever way that he's calling you to respond in, please don't wait. He loves you so much. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me 
uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me. What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to him. But I want to encourage you to give that to him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in his direction. And, and the other thing, too, is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.